The reading is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a light, a lamp, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see the good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unique. Irreplaceable, immensely valuable, vital for living. This is how Jesus sees you. This is what is on his mind when he looks at you and says, You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Never underestimate just how important we are in the sight of Christ for for the fulfilment of God's purposes in our world. Take salt. You are the salt of the earth, said Jesus. A strange phrase, that. Why the salt of the earth? You don't spread salt on the ground. Presumably it's a reference to the process of extracting salt from the cliffs that surrounded the Dead Sea or from salt mines. Salt is in the earth, it has to be got out of the earth and it's worth actually a great deal of effort to get to it because salt is such a prized possession today and in the ancient world. Roman soldiers were either paid in salt or were given money to buy rations of salt and it's from this practice that we derive the term salary. Some of the earliest coins were made of salt and it was used as a currency of exchange. Slaves could be bought and sold for salt. And it's from this practice that we get the phrase being worth his salt, meaning someone is valuable or useful. Spending salt on that person was a good investment. These days we hear a lot about the dangers of excessive salt consumption, but salt is actually vital to human survival. If you're living in the hot Middle Eastern climate, you are going to sweat. 
If you sweat, you are going to lose salt. And if the body loses too much salt, you are going to become dehydrated. Because without salt, the body can't absorb the water that you drink. You can drink and drink, it will do, do you no good if there is not enough salt in the body. So salt is vital, essential for living. It's said that in his war with Russia, Napoleon lost countless numbers of soldiers who died because a lack of salt meant that their wounds would not heal. And that's before you start to think about the value and the importance of salt as a preservative in the days before fridges or freezers and the difference it makes in the seasoning of food. I'm sure I've told you before that one of my favourite stories as a boy was of a king who had three daughters and he asked them to tell him how much they loved him. And one said, I love you more than all the gold in the world. One said, I love you more than all the silver in the world. And the third said, I love you more than meat loves salt. He wasn't overly impressed with that. He banished her from his kingdom. She came back years later as a cook, worked in the kitchens, prepared a dish for him of meat without any salt in it. He was furious. It tasted disgusting. He commanded the person responsible to be brought before him and he recognised it was his daughter and the truth of the words that she had said. Salt, valuable, vital to life, unique, irreplaceable, worth digging out of the ground at great expense because it matters so much. You, says Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. You are that important. You matter that much in the sight of God. If salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless. It's good for nothing except being thrown out and trampled underfoot. Scientists quibble about Jesus' words here because there's no way that sodium chloride can stop being salty. But the salt that was cut from the cliffs surrounding the Dead Sea wasn't pure salt. It was a mixture of salt and gypsum. And if it got wet, then the salt dissolved and washed away and you were left just with the gypsum that looked like salt, but didn't do anything and tasted pretty disgusting. Salt that's lost its saltiness. Good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Having lost the quality of saltiness, it couldn't be made salty again. You can't make salt from anything else. There are no substitutes. It is essential for life. And you, you are the salt of the earth. Nothing else will do. Nothing can take your place. In God's sight, you are that precious, irreplaceable, vital commodity that is essential for living. You matter that much. You also, you are the light of the world. And again, we're talking about one of the most basic needs for human survival here. It's generally accepted that the dinosaurs perished as a result of a meteor hitting the earth with such an impact that the resultant dust and debris thrown up into the atmosphere blocked out the sun's light for decades or even longer. No light, no life. The need for light, the need to light a fire goes way back to the very beginnings of human civilization. Light keeps wild animals at bay. It provides warmth. It enables people to stay up late at night and do more stuff. It enables us to know where we are. For many people, light is essential for keeping the darkness of depression at bay. We don't cope without light. People struggle in the winter for that reason. I remember once walking along a road in Holland at night. The road was straight, empty, safe to walk on. It was also pitch black. I couldn't see a thing. And although I knew the road was straight and empty and the surface was firm, I couldn't walk very far down it without seeing anything. 
before I, felt, before I felt a lot safer actually turning back and heading back towards the light where I knew where I was with a greater sense of security. Without light, we are vulnerable, we are confused, we are easily lost. A world without light would be a world of chaos, darkness, and confusion, and destruction. So Jesus says, you are the world's light. You illuminate the world for other people. And the whole point of a light is that it should be visible, that it should shine so that everyone can see it. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's had the experience of opening a cupboard door and saying, who's left the light on in here? What a waste of time that is. What's the point of having a light on in a locked cupboard where nobody is? Having a light in a cupboard which is empty is as useless as lighting a lamp and putting it under a bucket. It is a waste of time. If you have a light, you have it up high so that it casts its illumination as widely as possible, so that as many people as possible can see it. A light is not supposed to be hidden. A light is highly visible, like a city on a hill, something people can see from miles around. If you are a light, says Jesus, make sure you let your light shine so that everyone can see the good things you do and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, it's the quality of our lives, the way that we live that marks us out as being different, distinctive, salt, that uniquely seasoning quality that belongs to salt. Light that banishes the darkness. These qualities in God's world And we are salt and light as we live for God. Obedience to God's law is not an optional extra for us, as if we can have Jesus as Saviour without having him as Lord. Our identity as salt and light in the world has everything to do with the moral quality of our lives, and that in turn has everything to do with our willingness to live for God. Don't suppose for a moment that all this talk about Jesus making grace and forgiveness freely available to us means we can live as we please in the assurance that we'll somehow get off free on Scotland, get off scot-free on Judgment Day. That's not how it works at all. If our lives as Christians are indistinguishable from everyone else's, then we may have cause to wonder what's happened to that vital ingredient of the Holy Spirit, which makes us salty which sets us apart, which makes us shine. We are salt and we are light as we obey God. Jesus, you see, warns us. He didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. And for Jews, believing in Jesus doesn't mean that they're free even to jettison the least significant of the commandments. Keeping the commandments of the law is still a vital way for them to express their obedience to God. But in saying that he came to fulfil the law, Jesus was also saying he came to zero in on the law's true meaning. And in the verses that follow in Matthew 5, we'll look at them in a week's time, he offers a radical reinterpretation of what the law says. And says, this is what it's really all about. This is how the law really needs to be fulfilled. He internalises the law. He says it's not just the outward actions that matter, it's the inner attitude that God looks at as well. So let's not forget either that Jesus summarised the law neatly by saying it boils down essentially to two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and all the prophets can be summed up, hang on these two commandments, which we are required to obey. It's obeying these commandments that makes us salt and light.
It's this quality of loving the Lord our God and our neighbour as ourselves that is the essential ingredient in our being salt and light in the world. It's the quality that sets us apart, makes us different, makes us vital to the well-being of the world. If we could not survive in a world without salt, if chaos, confusion and destruction were to ensue if we lived in a world without light, what's it like if we live in a world without love? This idea was brought home to me forcibly by Liu Liu in an email he sent me, reflecting, containing a reflection he wrote for a team going out to the Central African Republic. And with his permission, I'd like to adapt something of what he said as part of my sermon. He, he talked about an incident where a student once asked a professor, Professor, does cold exist? And the professor answered, What's the problem? Of course it exists. Don't you ever feel cold? And the other student sniggered at the young man's question, but he replied, According to the laws of physics... The reason why we feel cold is because of the absence of heat. There is no heat in the presence of absolute zero, minus 273 degrees Celsius. At this temperature, all matter becomes inert and incapable of any reaction. Cold does not exist. We've created this word to describe the feeling of no energy. Cold is an absence of heat. The student in question, his name was Albert Einstein. Using Einstein's logic, the reason why there's so much violence and atrocities in the world around us is an absence of love. The characteristics described in 1 Corinthians 13 are like molecules of love. Were they not present or were they inactive, then you would see the coldness in human form with violence and atrocities towards each other. If there's no love, there's no goodness. Evil is an absence of love. And it's into situations like that that Tear Fund sends workers to bring the heat and the energy, the salt and the light of God's love to those areas to liberate people from being frozen in lovelessness with all the suffering and violence that comes from that. Well, Leo Leo sees Tear Fund as keeping the molecules of love moving around the world. And I like that picture. I think Jesus would like it too because it taps in exactly to what he's saying about us being salt and light, there to make a difference. The purpose of God's law, you see, was to make God's people distinctive, to set them apart, to make them different. Those who obeyed God would be different from all the other nations in the world. They would be holy to God. And that was sometimes interpreted and being understood as holiness meant being separate, staying uncontaminated from the rest of the world. I stay holy if I keep you at arm's length so I don't get infected by you. But God actually wants us to be his people who are different because we are centred on him. So we carry his holiness into the world and make a difference there. Salt makes other things salty. Light banishes the darkness. This was the reason the law was given. Not so we could withdraw from the world into some holy huddle with our full salt cellar in a cosy cupboard with the light on. But so that we could carry God's distinctive holiness out into the world and make a difference there. To bring life to people. To be light in their darkness. To bring the warmth of God's love to a world frozen in evil and suffering. That's our calling and our privilege. More than that, it's our identity. It's who we are. You are the salt of the earth, said Jesus. 
You are the light of the world. Live for him. Be salt and light and shine and bring life to the world. That's our calling and our privilege.